I want you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to take just a moment to study more about the church of Jesus Christ. Just as a little review, I want you to understand that from eternity past, God has always purposed this in his heart. Um, It's a hard thing for us to comprehend because we cannot really comprehend eternity. Um, Our minds are set upon the fact that there has to be a beginning. There has to be something that started everything. There had to be that. Um, We believe not in a created God, but we believe in an eternal God who has always existed. And he has existed in absolute perfection. God has never grown. He's never matured. He's never learned anything. He's never figured anything out. He's never been shocked by anything. He knows everything. He knows the end from the beginning. And to try to grasp that some point in eternity past, God knew everything in eternity future is absolutely impossible for us. Let's just cry that he's worthy. All right. He's worthy. And, um, and, and that's our God. But he reveals to us in Ephesians that in his heart from eternity past, he has purposed certain things that he wanted through his son, Jesus Christ. And one of the things that God has purposed and hid in his heart, even from the creation of the world, was what we call today the church. And church to God is not really what multitudes of people think about on a Sunday morning. And we say, hey, let's go to church. That's not what's in God's mind. This, this, uh, this meeting, this, this organization, this, this coming together in a religious sense where we sing a few songs, say some prayers, hear a message, and acknowledge verbally that God is the Lord. And then we go away for a few days or maybe an entire week, and we come back and gather again in our religious setting. That's not church in the heart of God. Church in the heart of God is that he would bring together from the Jews and the Gentiles these different groups of people, these two groups, and he would merge them together through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, and God would create in the earth a brand new man. This happened in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When Jesus gave his life on the cross as an offering for sin, and he paid for the sins of the world, and he opened the doors for anyone who would desire to come to God can, then Jesus Christ from that, by the power of the Holy Spirit, began to build his church. Now the Bible refers to the church as a house, a temple, The purpose of that house or that temple is that it houses the Holy Spirit. It doesn't house religion. It doesn't house denominations. It houses the Holy Spirit. It is the habitation of God by the Holy Spirit. The Bible also speaks of the church as a body, referencing it much like the human body, where Jesus Christ is the head and we are the body. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul talks about it in greater detail that you by yourself are not the church. The church is made up of many, and the many make up the one. And so the church is one new man composed of many, many people. So you're not just that by yourself, but you are privileged and honored through the new birth to be brought by the Holy Spirit and planted into the body of Christ. 
And in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul references the church that there's hands, there's ears, there's a mouth, there's feet. He references these many parts of that body, but they all work together in unity. And that unity is derived from the head of the body, who is Jesus Christ. And the life of the body, if you will, our human body, the life of our body is in the blood. But the life of this church is in the Holy Spirit. As the Holy Spirit moves through his church, he moves through you, he moves through us, and the gifts of the Spirit move through us, God desires to set into the earth, after the resurrection of Jesus, this new man that had never been here before. This is the man that God has created. This is the man that the Holy Spirit fills. And this man is to march through the earth exposing satanic powers and seducing spirits and breaking up the kingdoms of darkness and calling men and women into the glorious kingdom of our God. And that happens through the new birth, all right? So God demands, if if you're going to know or see or enter the kingdom of heaven, you must be born again, not join a church. Ministers can put your name on a church roll, but only the Holy Spirit can put you into the body of Christ. Just know that and understand that. And so God has desired this. This has been hidden in his heart since the creation of the world. This body, this new man, this temple that God has desired that he would fill. You and I are extremely blessed and privileged to be a part of that church if we're born again. We did not pay to enter into this. We did not earn the right to become part of the church. We recognize that we were rebellious sinners against God. We fell at his feet for mercy, hoping and depending upon his one offering through his son, Jesus Christ, as the only means by which our sins could be forgiven. And God gave us grace. And God saved us. And we now are thankful, right, that we're saved and that we're born again. Religious people that might even be in here this morning do not understand that. You do not understand that concept of thanksgiving. You do not understand that concept of admiration and gladness and rejoicing that I get to belong to Jesus Christ. Of all people, me. I was his enemy and he made me a son. This is so glorious and I want to love God and I want to honor God. And so those of us that have been truly brought into the body of Jesus through the new birth, when we know we should have died and gone to hell, we're now saved and we're intimate with God, then it is our desire, right? It is our desire to live in such a way by God's power to, for God to have everything he wants through his church. There is nothing that I can do for the previous generation. There is nothing that I will physically be able to do for the generations that will come after me. This is my generation. This is the opportunity for me to live and to die in the power of the Holy Spirit and the grace of God. So that through my life, I will be able to contribute to what God has desired for his church. And I want to do that for him. I want, I want us to be a church like that for him. A gathering of people that he has brought together to give that to him. So in chapter 4 of Ephesians, we're going to begin in verse 1. And he says, I therefore, which ties us back to what he's previously said, right? 
He said, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, I beg you that you walk worthy of the vocation or the lifestyle wherewith you are called. Now, it's an amazing thing that the Holy Spirit inspires Paul to write this. And so it is an amazing thing that the Holy Spirit, because he knows us, the Holy Spirit literally has to beg us. I beg you. I beg you to walk worthy of the lifestyle that you've been called to. Because the Holy Spirit knows us. And he knows it's going to be very difficult. Even in this regard. There will be many of us who want to. Many of us who really desire God's grace upon our life. So that we can walk worthy of the Lord. And when we don't walk worthy of the Lord, we're going to be convicted by the same Holy Spirit. And we're going to be given that beautiful opportunity to get back up and keep going. But there's going to be some who don't even care. Don't even care. It's not a matter of, well, I can't walk. Who can walk worthy of God? And not even care about it. And there's a difference between the people that come to church all the time and don't even care. And and they will be the first to admit and to fight for biblical truth. And let's live by the Bible. But they don't. But they advocate it. But they don't. And there's a difference between people that just don't really even care. It's not going to come up to them on Monday, Tuesday. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, it's, it's just not going to bother them. And there's a difference between that person and the person who cares. The person whose heart is tender towards the Lord that says, I know that you have given to me the Holy Spirit so that I can walk worthy of you. And I want to. And God, when I don't convict me and help me. That's a different mindset and a person than the person that says, well, you know, who can? It's no big deal. We're all under grace. There's a difference in those mindsets, right? And so he goes on and he says this. Now, there's a, there's a purpose for this desire. This begging of the Holy Spirit is a reason. And the reason is the therefore, because it ties us back to the preceding words. But I want to go forward in verse 2. This is our lifestyle. We're supposed to live this life with all lowliness, which is humility, and meekness, which is gentleness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. Forbearing means you put up with it. Sometimes you just have to put up with it. Well, they really hurt me. Put up with it. You know? Well, I, I don't really like the way they talk. Put up with it. Just put up with it. Well, I, I don't feel... I feel like I need justice. No, you really don't want justice. You don't want justice on them and you don't want justice on yourself. So put up with it, you know. And so that's forbearing. Just carry it. Just deal with it. There's a lot of things we can just deal with and put it and give it to Jesus and put it under the blood and go on. It's a lot of things we can. Endeavoring. Which means to make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. So listen, we're supposed to live in humility and in gentleness. 
with long suffering or patience, just carrying things in our life, just, just putting up with it or bearing it so that I can make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit. That's, that's got the, you know, there's a lot of talk about unity. You know, we need unity. No, not, not just, don't just put, we need, we need unity. We need the unity of the spirit of God. And the spirit of God is not going to be in unity with things that are opposed to him. And so we want to come under the unity of the spirit. We make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Because listen, there's just one body. And if I divide that body, I'm hurting the cause. If I'm not walking in humility, if I'm not walking in gentleness, if if I'm allowing offenses to upset me and make me bitter, and I begin to hurt or divide or wound or cause strife into the body, there's only one body. And now I am the one hindering the Holy Spirit in the earth today. The Holy Spirit can be grieved. He can be quenched. And so we don't want to bring these things against him, right? And so there's one Lord, there are, or there's one body, one spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling. And that hope, again, let me do this as a reminder. Go to chapter 1. And I want you to see this in Ephesians 1. He says in verse 15, he's rejoicing in their faith. In verse 16, because they do have faith in Jesus, he, he never stops praying for them. And what he prays for them is a move of the Holy Ghost on their life that the Holy Spirit would give them the revelation that, that about Jesus they can't have any other way. Guys, there are some things that the Holy Spirit just has to teach us. And so he goes and he says this in verse 18, that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And so there's that hope, the hope of his calling. And he talks about this in Ephesians 4. He's going back to it and he talks about these wonderful things that we have. One body, one spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling. This is it. This is all of our hope. And so what is that hope? What is this therefore of verse 1? Where the Holy Spirit is literally have to say to every one of us, I beg you, I beg you. That you live worthy of this life that you've been called to. I beg you to do that. And the reason the Holy Spirit is begging us to do it is because he's saying to us, I only have one body. It's you. It's you. Do you see what's happening on the streets of America? I can do something about it. It's not the protesters that are hindering me, the Holy Spirit says. It's a church. Do you understand what I could do in my church? But we don't pray. We don't worship. I'm not saying everybody. I'm not saying that. But, but what church has a reputation of prayer in Baton Rouge? What minister has a reputation of prayer and worship in Baton Rouge? Where is it? says, oh man, those are a praying people. That, that, is a, that is a church that is just constantly interceding. Where is that? What is that? And the Holy Spirit is saying, all of this is for me. And if you just knew what I could do. But I've only got you to work through. And so he's saying, I beg you, I beg you to walk worthy of this. And if I need to remind you, it's in verse 9. 
It's to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world has been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ, to the intent that now, unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. That's the hope. That's the hope. That's our one hope. That, that, that's it. That's the hope of God. And that becomes our hope that God, through the church, would be able to demonstrate his manifold wisdom to principalities and powers. Because Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, that's what we're wrestling with. Principalities and powers and not flesh and blood. And so that is what we're in conflict with and we're battling with. And this is the desire of God through the church. And this has to be the desire of God in our life. And I pray that it will be. This is the eternal purpose of God that he's purposed in Jesus Christ. And the church, if you just read it, you just read it with me in Ephesians 3. The church is necessary if God's going to have it. It is by the church. And without the church, God will not be able to demonstrate his manifold wisdom. I want him to in my day. Now, it's not churches, you know, with our our, our, our marquees and our church name and all of that. And we get, you know, nonprofit status. And now we're a church and people recognize a big, big deal. What anybody recognizes us as it's what God sees us as. And it's the fellowship of that church where the gifts of the spirit are operating through our lives and the Holy spirit is able to move. So This is the hope and this is the cause. And this is why in chapter 4, verse 1, the Holy Spirit is begging us to live worthy of this calling. And if we're going to live worthy of it, you know what? We're going to need some humility. And we're going to need to be gentle with each other. And we're going to need to be patient with each other. And we're going to need to carry each other. And we're going to have to put up with some things. Because in any church, like in any home, in any family There can be times in your life where just something just grates you. It's just going to happen. But for the sake of the unity of the Holy Spirit, don't fracture the church. Don't do it. Shut your mouth when you're tempted to gossip. Or when you want to bring slander. Or you want to bring a railing accusation. Or you want to murmur underneath your breath because you're not happy. And you're not satisfied. Be quiet about it and take it to God in prayer. And ask the Lord, how can I be Christ-like in this situation where I feel so upset about something? How can I be Christ-like? How can I help the church and help the Holy Spirit rather than hurt this? And so I want to go to chapter chapter 3 verse 9. And I want you to see this because... I, I, want to, I want to discuss the meeting with the church. And he says in verse 9, it's to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery. And so it is the fellowship. The mystery is the church. And it is the fellowship of the church that is so important. It's that fellowship. And therefore, for us, we should be very concerned for the fellowship. God is going to demonstrate his manifold wisdom through us. God does that. But what we have to give attention to are not demons and devils and principalities and powers. We have to give attention to the fellowship of that church. 
that becomes one of the chief occupations of our life. How can I say that I love God whom I haven't seen? If I don't love you, my brothers and sisters, that I do see. And so my chief occupation is to love the body of Christ. And to desire its good and its benefit. And so this fellowship of the mystery is described in chapter 4. We've already read through some of this. I'm not going to go through it all. But we've studied it in in, in Ephesians 4. And it talks about how God has given these offices to his church. He's given the apostle, the prophet, the pastor, the evangelist, the teacher. He's given what we call the fivefold ministry to the church. These are sovereign appointments of God. Men do not appoint men to these places. God appoints men to these places by the gifts that God gives to men. And it's not because they're better than others people. It's not because they're more special. It's not because they're more intimate with God that they're appointed to these places. It's just the sovereign choice of God that he does it. It's just his choice. But all of the body of Christ is precious to God and it's important to God. And all of the members are important to God. And all of the gifts that are in all of the ministers are as important as the speaking gift that a pastor might have on a Sunday morning. And those gifts are operating through the week and they're life changing and they're destroying the devil and his lies and his works among the people and in the community. So there are these gifts of offices and these, these, these offices begin to work in the church to help mature the body of Christ. This is Ephesians 4. You can be skimming through it, but, but it strengthens the body of Christ. It brings us to maturity. It is this fellowship of the mystery that gives us protection from doctrines of devils and seducing spirits and winds of doctrine that blow every day in a different direction. It is the body of Christ that helps root us and anchor us in Jesus Christ that we might feel the winds of doctrine blowing, but we're strong in Christ because we speak the truth in love to one another. We help each other. We strengthen each other. We keep us rooted in Christ. And if there's a wind of doctrine that's blowing us and moving us out of Christ, then a brother or sister who's spiritual in the Lord says, hey, you need to be careful. That's going to take you out of Jesus. You need to be careful with that. And that's what we do. That, that's the fellowship of the mystery. It, it's, it's not eating ice cream together. That's part of it. It's a good part of it. But it's not all of it. All right. So we, we, we have the gifts of the spirit ministering to one another. And we have the offices that God has placed in the church that provide authority and direction for the body of Christ. And there's protection in the body of Christ. And there's that love we have for one another in the body of Christ. And this is the fellowship of that body. The fellowship of that mystery. And God is wanting to bring this together oftentimes. Now Paul bookends the begging of verse 1. He, he ends that in chapter 5. So if, if you will, Ephesians chapter 2 through Ephesians chapter 5 is the revelation of this mystery. Which is the church. And the begging of the Holy Spirit in verse 1 of chapter 4 is concluded, if you will, in chapter 5 of Ephesians. And I want you to see this. The the Bible is so beautiful when you see its context. So beautiful. Just like when you read the words hope. 
If you just read the word hope in Ephesians chapter 4, you might wonder what hope. But when you go back to chapter 1, you know what the hope is. And when you go to chapter 3, it explains what the hope is. And so, if you will, to get to the end of this begging of the Holy Spirit, I want us to begin in verse 22 of chapter 4. And he says, again, that you put off concerning the former lifestyle. Because this is what he's been calling us to, live a lifestyle that's worthy. So put off the former lifestyle of the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust. You don't live by your lust anymore. And and there's a multitude of people in the church world who are very morally religious and says, Amen. Don't watch pornography. Don't fool around. Don't indulge myself. Not given to gluttony. Not fulfilling my lust. And God just says, Hey, need you at the prayer meeting tonight. Oh, no. No, I can't do that. And we've got our great reasons. That's lust as well. That's lust as well. Now, I'm not saying Pastor Lee wants you at the prayer meeting. Somebody else who knocks on your heart. And what do we tell him? What are our excuses? What are our reasonings? Those are lust as well. And he goes on and he says this, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that you put on, that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. I love that. I, I, I had so many great times with Brother Clendenin. And one, one of the things is he'd get up early in the morning, 4.30, and come knock on our door. We're on mission trip together. And Get up, son. God's calling us. And I'm like, I'm in dreams and interpretations right now, Brother Clinton. <laughs> get up, boy. You know, and he'd knock on the door. And about five in the morning, we're going to prayer meeting. He'd look at, look at us, and he's chipper, and he's just ready to take on the day. And we're like, oh. You know, faking it really like we're spiritual and all we want to do is go to bed. And he says, I know I'm being led by the Holy Ghost. He said, you know why? I'm going to a prayer meeting. I'd rather be in the bed. But I'm going to a prayer meeting. Just a renewed mind. He put on Christ. Where would Jesus want to be? Wherefore, putting away, lying. Speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Isn't that great? Back to the body. We're members one of another. Be truthful with each other. Don't lie. Don't be angry or be angry and sin not. Something's going to offend you. There's going to be something you have to forbear. It doesn't mean you run away. Doesn't mean you murmur. It doesn't mean you create a gossiping society. It just means that don't sin in it. Something's going to upset you. Give it to God. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor. Now the whole reason you work has changed. You no longer work to pay a mortgage or to pay a car note. 
You no longer work for your own lust and your own desires. But now you work for a greater cause. The reason you earn money, the reason you do what you do, all of that has changed if you're born again. If you're not born again, nothing's changed. But if you're born again, everything's changed. And so now I I labor and I work with my hands so that I have the ability to give. I want to give to him that needs. And then he talks about the way we talk. Even that has been changed. Let no corrupt or worthless communication proceed out of your mouth. But that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace to the hearers. And so that's the way we should talk. We should speak and say, none of us are perfect with this. And that's why, praise God, we get the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And sometimes we have to apologize. Hey, I realize the way that I spoke to you, would you forgive me? And we we forgive one another, right? And and so, you know, this happens. But what we want to do is we want to be careful that I want to speak words of grace into your life. I I don't want to speak words that are to no profit for you. I want to speak words of grace to you. And he comes to this in verse 30. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. That's been the desire from verse 1. Don't grieve me. I've only got one church to work in. I really need you guys to do this. I really need you guys to understand the grace that I've brought you into. Because all of this is my hope. And so he says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. And then he goes down, if, if you will, whereby you're sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And so this is the ways we grieve the Holy Spirit. We have worthless communication or conversations. We speak things from our mouth that don't bring grace and minister. We, bit, we, we, we grieve the Holy Spirit by bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor, which is just little chit-chat talking and stuff and evil speaking. Put that away from you with all malice and malice is causing trouble and disturbing the peace. Church leaders, if you've got people in your group that are disturbing the peace, confront it. Hey, you're disturbing the peace. We need to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit. This is what we need to do. This is important for us to do. And so this is how we don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Verse 32. Be kind one to another. Tenderhearted. Forgive one another. Even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. What a demand. What a provision. The Holy Spirit. He can do it. He can do it in us. To, to be able to say, I will never get over that. I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll forgive them. I won't forget it. That means I'm holding on to the bitterness and the revenge. Look, if you're dealing with bitterness, if you're dealing with unforgiveness, you might even say, I could never forgive them. And that's true about us. I could never forgive anybody. You could never forgive anybody. But I know a God who can change my heart. And so I could say, God, although this is impossible for me, I want to bring before you my bittered heart 
and my unforgiveness. And I want to ask you to change it so that I can begin to show forgiveness like you've shown it to me. And you're going to watch one of the greatest miracles happen in your life. Get ready for a crushing. It's going to be a good crushing. Trust me. I've been through that a lot. It's going to be a good crushing. But without chapter 5, we would be amiss. So it says, be therefore followers of God as dear children. This is a thing of nature, not a thing of religion. You're not imitating Jesus. You're a child of God through the new birth. He lives in you. The nature of Christ is in you. The hope of glory is Christ in you. This is a thing of nature, not a thing of practice. It's the nature of God. Walk in love as Christ also has loved us. Carl, if you'll come up. And has given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling savor. And then it talks about these sins of the flesh, the fornication, uncleanness, filthiness, the jesting. To put all that away from us. But it is a thing of nature to walk in love. That, that, please, I'm I'm just going to conclude with this. But this little subject on the church is how to meet with the church. And we're going to go into the priesthood of our life. And how we minister to God and man next week. But what I want you to see from this is, guys, please listen to this. We believe that the Holy Spirit has inspired the word of God. We believe that these men that wrote the word of God were moved upon by the Holy Spirit. And it's God breathed and they pen the words. That, that means that the Holy Spirit is begging us. I beseech you. I beg you, I have no other church. I have no other group of people to work through. I have nobody else in all of the world that I can ask to be forgiving and kind and tenderhearted. I have nobody else in the world that I can say, be followers of God as dear children, because nobody else is but you. And you've surrendered yourself to me, and I've graciously brought you into my family, and I've made you a part of the body of Christ. Now, Let's get on with the hope that I have in this church. And let us be knit together in fellowship, protecting one another, loving one another. Let's be kind. Let's be patient. Let's learn to put up with some things. And when we can't put up with something, let's learn to do it as Christian brothers and do it privately with one another and not publicly hurting somebody or seeking revenge have a tender heart have a compassionate heart and this this needs to be the endeavoring of the of the unity of the spirit this needs to be where i spend my energy on the church to help it that i want to live my life to help it I'm not going to be occupied, though I believe in demons and devils and principalities and powers and fight with them every day of my life. I'm not occupied with them. I'm occupied with Jesus and his beautiful church. And I want to minister among his people. And I want us to be able to show the world this is what Jesus looks like. And just by that love and that tenderness and that compassion... The devil will continue to lose people from his kingdom as they're running to Jesus. Let's take a moment and pray. And I just ask you that you would just open up Ephesians 4.1 and just sit there with the Lord and read it. Just ask the Lord.
I want you to direct my life. You've saved me. You, you made me a part of your church. And I want to contribute. I want, I want my life to contribute. I don't want to live by lust, self-will. I just want to serve you with joy, with gladness. I'm grateful to be a part of your kingdom. Maybe there's somebody that has offended you, that's hurt you, and there's bitterness in your heart, and there's unforgiveness in your heart. Don't pretend it's not there. God already knows. But just agree with God and lay it at His feet. Yes, Lord, I'm... I am hurt. I am bitter. But I ask you to clean my heart of this. Give me a tender heart, a kind heart, forgiving spirit by the presence of Jesus in my life who lives in my heart. Help me to live in a way to make the church beautiful today.